Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to these go to 11. Once again, Greg Dutcher in our new sound room. Greg, say hello. Hello from the new sound room. It is awesome, comfortable. We got a ceiling fan going. Uh, no air conditioner in the background today. That's right. <laughs> yeah, nice cool day here today. It is. 79, I think it's going to be the high. Yeah. For late June in the mid-Atlantic. Yeah. Pretty nice. Very low humidity. So that's great. We are in our Hot Topic Month. Um, as you've already deducted, we do not have a third guest with us. And that is because of the nature of the topic that we're discussing today. Um, Greg, it, it feels like it's been such a long time I know. that we've been doing these hot topics. We started off with infant and credo baptism, yep. moved to uh, young old earth theory, yep. and then we moved to the two-parter uh, with Dave Shive on Calvinism. Yes. Um, and now we're finishing off today with where do infants go when they die? And you and I, this was actually the first hot topic that we came up with, which led to wanting to do a hot topic series, Mm -hmm. interestingly enough. Um, And I remember coming to you, I I forget what it was that we were talking about. Oh, it was, it was the podcast that we did when we were talking about how do you reach the gospel with those who are mentally unable to accept it? Yes, that's right. And um, you and I were just talking and we were talking offline and I came to you and said, Greg, what if we were to do one about salvation mm-hmm. with those who cannot receive it, which would include uh, infants. Yes. Um, and before we actually get into the nuances of um, what we're going to talk about today, we want to be very careful that we don't set this up as a debate. Sure. Um, I'm not here to try to argue a certain position that I hold because if if anything, I hold a very agnostic position mm-hmm. when it comes to when it comes to this, I believe um, that uh, Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine talks about the secret things of God, and I think this lies in one of those secret things. So I don't think Scripture can prove or d- deny where infants go um, throughout its pages. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when I was a teacher having a very um, actually in- interesting. It was a very hot debate with my students who just all accepted that they went to heaven. And Mm -hmm. I posed the other side to them saying, well, what about these verses? How do we reconcile those things? Mm -hmm. Um, And interestingly enough, they had nothing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right. So, so I'm trusting today that when I bring those same scriptures to you, Greg, you'll be able to give a, a better answer than, than what they were able to give. Um, So yeah, um, just starting out my position, like I said, I, I don't have a vested interest one way or the other in this. Um, this isn't a personal thing. I've never lost a child. Um, I know several people who have, sure. um, including you and Lisa, Greg. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is very personal for you guys. Yeah. Um, and I want to make sure that we treat this with um, sensitivity. This is very taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember talking with Joy about it, um, and she was very nervous yeah. about yeah about this one. Sure. Um, I remember talking with her father about it. Um, her father and her mother lost children and he couldn't believe that there are people out there who believe that infants might go to hell. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was just, that just shocked him. That was a totally mind blowing concept for him. Yeah. So we just, we want to deal with this sensitively and make sure that we take the time to not only explain uh, your position, Greg, mm-hmm. but also try to 
give the give the other perspective um, of someone who might believe that they do. Sure. Um, so, Greg, just take some time and and explain your position and explain theologically um, why you believe it. Yeah. Thank you, Nathan. I think you set it up so well. I love the uh, caution you bring, and we've talked about this a lot offline. Uh, that's why we did not really want to quote unquote market this as a debate. Although, as you mentioned, ironically, it sparked the whole um, theme of a hot topic month. Yeah. But I love the way you uh, had the wisdom to place this last. I think to uh, come to this uh, very carefully, very conversationally. Uh, and we do want to say to anybody listening in that's uh, lost a child, either in miscarriage, uh, stillbirth, or, or a young child. Uh, we know there is, is nothing more um, probably unique in terms of searing pain, emotional pain, yeah. than to lose a child. So we want to be very mindful of that and not just, you know, sort of contemplate how many angels dance yeah. on the head of a pin uh, when talking about this. So, so thank you for setting that up, Nathan. The issue of children and salvation is almost impossible to talk about without this, this concept of an age of accountability. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that in probably more detail. I don't like the phrase for many, many reasons. One, it isn't a scriptural phrase. Right. Uh, and that's okay. We have phrases that aren't scriptural phrases. You know, we'll talk about small groups and quiet times, and uh, we, we know what those things are, and right. we can understand their biblical underpinnings. Um, so I think there is a concept that approximates it. Uh, the reason I chiefly don't like it is because it naturally asks the question, so what is it? Right. <laughs> and it's an unanswerable question. How old question. do they yes. have to be? You know, I, I would say my best guess is that when a person becomes uh, mentally, cognitively, uh, self-aware, conscious uh, to make moral choices, those sorts of things – my 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 sense is that differs from child to child. Right. I mean, which could also include a fifty year old in some cases. Well, or yeah, older. Yeah, it it could it could, and uh, you know, like all men, Nathan, we're perpetual middle schoolers. So I don't right. know where we <laughs> where we rank. You know, and we're um, always held accountable. <laughs> yes, yes. My, you know, Lisa came uh, into the uh, basement recently. Uh, where I was with the kids, and there was a lot of uh, bathroom humor, <laughs> a lot of uh, flatulence humor, and uh, then determined that the source of that humor was dad. Um, and I said, well, that's how I'm bonding with them. So, that's right. uh, you know, that's a, um, a a big question. When does a person, you know, sort of come of, of age in this cognitive awareness? And that uh, I'm not an expert on those things. So we might use the term in this conversation. Yeah conversationally sure to to have some uh mental uh peg to hang a hat on right uh so i i would say that it is my uh firm belief that children uh that die i would include in that uh the severely mentally uh challenged handicapped mm-hmm. um i remember learning about the levels of retardation in college and i if I remember rightly, like stage four is when a person is almost in a persistent vegetative state. Right. Um, so I would probably lump those groups together. Mm-hmm. I believe that when those uh, those individuals die in that state, uh, they go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Now, I 
do not believe that with the uh, confidence that I would believe in something that is explicitly taught mm-hmm. uh, in Scripture like justification by faith alone. Mm-hmm. I think is a slam dunk issue. I think we can go to Galatians and Romans, uh, other passages too, and just make a very clear case and take our stand. So I wanted to say I agree with you, Nathan, that Deuteronomy 29, 29, uh, the secret things uh, you know, belong to the Lord our God, the things that have been revealed belong to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say, yeah, I-, I would agree that there is not an explicit statement on the destiny of children. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, but I am saying at the same time, while there is not an explicit statement through biblical deduction, which mm-hmm. I will admit my math going into it. I believe that children go to heaven when they die, which means as a Calvinist, mm-hmm. since we just engaged with Dave in the last two yeah. weeks on, on that issue, where does a Calvinist, um, come up with that and how does it fit into a system where uh, you believe that people are chosen apart from what they've done from the beginning of the world uh, or before the foundation of the world that not all are chosen. So for me, it's a fairly simple matter. I guess if you pin me down, I think that children that die in infancy, uh, people that are mentally um, handicapped uh, that die are part of the elect. Mm Mm-hmm that they are part of those that massive group that God has chosen to be the recipients of salvation. So that's my stated position really without defense, mm-hmm. as best as I can do it, I think. Sure. Early on a Monday morning. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let me, let me ask you then, um, without going into detail, just being um, broad, because um, for the sake of being able to have this discussion, I'm going to be asking you the questions, um, that, that someone on the other side might ask. Um, what, what do you do with the, the generality of scripture that talks about our fallen state as humanity, even going into, um, birth or before birth. We are, I mean, scripture, there's overwhelming scripture that talks about our state and we're broken. And this is, this is from the cradle, you know? Um, and then the overwhelming scripture that talks about how, um, we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Yes. Um, and those people don't have that capacity and that ability. How do you reconcile those two things? Well, that's why, as I said, it is a deduction. There's Mm -hmm. no doubt about it. Um, I do not believe that infants are innocent. There are some people that believe uh, children go to heaven based upon their innocence. I don't like the term innocence because Mm -hmm. of what you just said. I think uh, to deny original sin, uh, you really have to do some extreme gymnastics Mm -hmm. with certain texts. David, as you uh, mentioned. Uh, said in uh, in Psalm fifty one uh, that surely he was conceived or in sin uh, he was um, you know, born into the world uh, in sin that uh, you know the heart is desperately wicked beyond cure who can understand it uh, all of us have uh, fallen short of God's glory that yeah. the universality of human sin I believe extends to all it, you know, Ephesians two uh, the hardest phrase maybe the, the New Testament concerning the state of humanity outside of Christ that were objects of wrath. 
Yeah. Uh, so I would say, yes, uh, that is true of children, uh, that they are, I think the theological term would be unregenerate, mm-hmm. uh, which means they are in a state of need just as any other human being, you know, two months old or a hundred years old. Um, so that is an issue that has to be dealt with. You're asking me the question, am I right, Nathan? What do you do in light of man's guilt yeah. and even children's guilt before God being born in a state of opposition? And what do you do with the scriptures that insist that belief in Jesus Christ is the necessary means to receive the forgiveness for those sins? Um, and I would say, are you ready for this sophisticated answer? Let's hear it. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm really not sure, which, again, I will admit is a chink in the armor of the position. Um, and I've thought about this a lot, knowing we were going to do this podcast. I do think that in God's way, there is a way to extend the benefits of the atonement mm-hmm. to children and the severely mentally disabled that cannot believe. Mm-hmm. So I agree that scripture is written obviously to those who can presumably hear the message, understand the message. So I believe that the reason that we don't have a particular section on infants is because the focus of scripture is evangelistic. Mm -hmm. It is to call men and women, I would say, you're consciously aware young people to repentance and faith in Christ. Uh, so the question for us now becomes objectively only Christ can get a person to heaven. I think we all have to agree on that. Uh, can he extend those benefits to, uh, children who do not have the capacity to believe? And obviously I think that he can. Yeah. So why is a child this morning who was aborted in my mind, this Mm -hmm. is in my mind, who perished in a terrible car accident or fire or something like that? Why is he in heaven? It isn't because he was innocent and sweet and cute and God had to take that child into heaven. It is because as part of the elect, I believe Christ died for them and extended the benefits of the gospel to them in a way I freely admit I can't fully explain. Yeah. Now, uh, let me let me ask you this um, question then, because we are we're using this term "age of accountability," but it's it's more of an understanding, sure, not not a physical age, but an understanding age yeah. where where at some point the mind is able to comprehend the things of God. Right. Um, what? How do we then reconcile that with? cultures that have not heard right and and those and those people who who don't have that understanding they have a mental understanding but they don't actually have an understanding of god right per se and so and so they we would easily admit that those people are still in sin and if they died as an adult with with the faculties of an adult um of a I hate to use this phrase, but a, a normal minded adult. Sure. Um, we have no problem saying, yeah, if they died without hearing the gospel, they would be in hell. Right. And so how do we reconcile those two things? Well, that's a great question, Nathan, because I realize that the logic I'm using uh, can easily be applied to the situation you're describing. 
And I would say there are some Christians, there are some even uh, Reformed Christians that I've met <laughs> that do believe that included in this category are those uh, people you just mentioned, people that do have not heard the gospel. Um, that is admittedly a tricky question. Uh, I'm turning in my Bible because I should have had these things laid out. Uh, Romans chapter 1, I was going to mention anyway, but it is, I think is it informs us on these issues a little bit. Um, and one of the reasons I do not include people who have never heard in this group is because of Romans uh, chapter 1, uh, which, interesting enough, I just quoted in the sermon yesterday, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm coming back to it today. Paul says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Uh, so this is a general description of God's disposition set against. Now here, I think in context, it's the Gentile world. He's giving mm -hmm. a spiritual history. Uh, but the ironic thing is, Paul f knows full well, these are people that did not have the law in their possession, as Israel did. So he defends that by saying in verse 19, that what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Uh, so he has shown him something of himself and his power. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Here for me is the clincher in verse 20. So they are without excuse, or therefore, mm -hmm. so it's a, a you know, purpose connector. They are without excuse. Um, I believe there's an implication there. Mm -hmm. that had they been unable to see and process uh, and understand God's nature in creation, they would be with excuse. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I'm wondering if that is that, is that why Paul is using the therefore. Mm -hmm. um, therefore, they don't have an excuse because these things have been perceived, meaning if they couldn't be perceived or that's an inference, I admit, an implication. If they could not be understood and perceived, which the way a child can, if there's a woman in our office this morning you know, holding her six-month-old baby, mm -hmm. and we ask the baby to look out the window and consider the trees and the sky and the, uh, the beauty of God's creation, um, I think most of us would sort of, in a commonsensical way, say, no, they, well, they can't do that. Right. You know, they don't have the capacity yet. It hasn't developed to be able to do that. The case of the person living in a... Um, place in the world that yes has not heard the gospel is still however in a spot where the revelation they have had has been consciously rejected so that's what i see in verse uh, 18 the the wrath of god that's revealed against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men we see that actively described in men's reaction at the end of that verse when it says who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth so I would say that the revelation people have, Paul says, they suppress it. It's a universal statement. They push it down because they don't want to come to terms with the God who made them, the claims he may have upon them, so that they are guilty. Uh, children, I think, are exempt from this, I believe, because they cannot perceive what has been made in nature. So that would be my answer there and i'm not even sure did i lose your initial question nathan no i think i mean i do think we got to it um yeah i think i think we got to it because the question was how do the people um in 
countries who have never heard. Right. You know, how, how is it that they aren't um, a part of this group? Yes. Um, so, so essentially, if, if I'm correct, what you're saying is there's almost there are two there are two rejections right. that occur. Essentially, there's the there's the one that that seems to be what Paul is talking about in Romans, the general rejection of of God. Yes. Um, but then there's a second rejection where you can, in essence see that there is a God, but then there's the rejection of Jesus Christ. Yes. Um, so what do we do with that grouping? So, so, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of suspend things for a minute. I agree with you. I don't think that a child is able to, uh, reject God. Mm -hmm. Um, and so these people have an obligation and a duty to accept that there is a God, what do we do with the gospel in mm-hmm. that case? And in these people groups and the need to accept the gospel yeah. um, and believe in the gospel. It's, it's a hard one, Nathan, and I'll put all my cards on the table on that one as emotionally difficult as it is for me. I believe that the fall of man is far worse than probably any of us ever expected. Mm-hmm that one of the great tragedies is that mankind uh, is outside of uh, God's welcome, Mm -hmm. outside of his acceptance, and that truly, essentially deserves judgment and perdition forever. So that, I think that's what Paul is establishing in Romans 1 through 3. I think his whole goal in those three chapters is to indict the entirety of the world, Jew and Gentile. Mm -hmm. So interestingly enough, he starts with Gentiles, uh, which is going to be the harder one to sell, I think, because the Jews, you can, if you can prove that they have the uh, revelation of God uh, embodied in the law and that they rejected it, they Mm -hmm. did not live according to it, then you've got a slam dunk case. You can go exhibit A, you know, the Bible says, do not covet and let me show you where you've coveted exhibit B, uh, you shall not commit adultery. Let me show you where you've committed adultery. What about the Gentiles? They yeah. didn't have a law like that. Uh, and Paul's point is, no, they did. It was written on their hearts and on their minds, and they rejected that. One of the reasons, and I'm going to go offline very briefly on this, sure. Nathan, you can rein me back in, that I, I, I understand, and there are some Reformed friends of mine that believe that, no, I think people that have never heard the gospel are held accountable to the degree of light they've received. So they would say, yeah, they didn't hear the gospel, but you know, general revelation, uh, whatever they got, maybe God holds them responsible to that light. The reason I've never been persuaded of that argument is because I think Paul is making the argument for us in Romans 1. The light they have, they suppress. Yeah. Again, universal statement. That I would say the, the light the unbeliever has he already rejects and suppresses so that he's already on a hell-bound path. So if the gospel was never preached in the world, God is righteous to judge those people because they have already started in original sin, but more than that, they have also willfully, volitionally suppressed the truth that is revealed to them in creation and in conscience. It's what theologians call general revelation. That, I believe, is sufficient to qualify the entire human race for hell. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that, yes, if the gospel does not get out, I don't think that gets people off the hook. Mm -hmm. 
that's why the missionary impulse is that the gospel must get out. Otherwise, if we accepted this belief that people didn't, they weren't held responsible because they never heard the gospel, I can't help but wonder why aren't missions organizations building, you know, like the, the Stephen King under the dome uh, right, right. You know, structures. Let, let's go to the Middle East and let's find people, groups that have never been exposed to the gospel, the distant regions of Nepal that have never heard the gospel, and let's let's dome them in yeah. so they never have an opportunity to reject the gospel. I mean, we might as well do that. Uh, but it seems that the burden of the gospel is I must get into the world yeah. and people that are going to hell must hear the good news of Christ uh, so they can uh, be rescued and find redemption. Children on both counts, the way I think of that, uh, children that live in areas that never receive the gospel, children that live in areas that do receive the gospel, don't have the capacity to respond to anything. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I believe that they are part of God's elect. I, it's not just so, deduction. I do have some right. passages, sure. but we'll, we can get to that. So, so they are. You would say yes. They are un, unwillingly suppressing God's nature in in the sense that they are born into this original yes. sin. Yeah. But there is no willful volition to yes. suppress it. Yes, I, I think that's a great way to put it. There, I do not see infants having willful volition to suppress the truth they've been given. Okay. Um, now, pe some people say, oh, why, why not? And I would say, yeah, I can't find a verse that says that. Yeah. I'll freely admit that. Yeah. Uh, again, I think it's a deduction. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's sort of always the, the pluses and minuses of common sense. Yeah. Uh, a friend of ours we were just talking with before this podcast said, I know common sense is tricky right? because a lot of things seem common sense. Right. It seems common sense to people that uh, everybody goes to heaven right? Uh, because it makes us all feel better and we like that. That seems commonsensical, but it doesn't mean it's true. right? Uh, but yes, I don't think an infant uh, or a severely mentally disabled individual has the capacity uh, to suppress general revelation or the message of the gospel. Um, and then the question is, so what do we do with these people? How do we categorize them theologically? Yeah. And I have just come to the belief they're part of the elect, uh, and that the grace of the gospel, uh, is somehow in God's way extended to them, um, <clears throat> in a way that is different than I've received it yeah. through belief, faith, etc. Well, and that seems to be, uh, experience in general, because even the way people receive the gospel can be very different. You, you think about, uh, Muslim countries where the gospel is not openly preached on the streets and, and you will talk to, uh, it's not just one or two, but you talk to, to hundreds of people who talk about this dream that they had of this person named Jesus. Yes. And, and I can tell you, I've never, I, before my conversion experience, I never had a dream of a person named Jesus coming to me and talking to me and, sure. you know, basically laying out the gospel for me. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a teacher in a classroom who did that for me. Right. Um, and so even, even in our own life experiences, we can see that the way the gospel is presented to people can vary and be very different. Yes. Um, let, let me um, ask you this question. Um, since you touched on it, you, you don't believe that the Bible explicitly states these things one way. Yeah. Or the other. Um, why do you think that is? Yeah, good good question, Nathan. Uh, we were talking beforehand. Uh, I, I don't go to Philip Yancey normally uh, mm -hmm. as, a, as a theological guide. I don't mean to, to denigrate Yancey. I think he's written some good stuff. He can sometimes be a whipping boy of the Reformed community. 
But his book, uh, The Jesus I Never Knew, uh, is a really good book. And I think it was in this this book, uh, may have been in What's So Amazing About Grace, in, in one of those books, and maybe a listener could, uh, could let us know. That's right. Uh, in, in one of those books, Yancey, it's almost like he's thinking out loud. It seemed like a parenthetical sort of stream of consciousness moment in his writing where he says, have you ever wondered why uh, a belief that's common to many Christians, he says, that, yeah. that children go to heaven, uh, is not explicitly taught in Scripture if that is true? Now, this is his conjecture, but it, it did give me pause. He said, how many whacked out, weirdo, splinter Christian groups are there in in the world that you know have done everything from drinking strychnine in their services to handling snakes and you know all sorts of very obscure, strange practices. He says, could you not picture a group if there was a Third Corinthians chapter four verse two that said, "Oh, by the way, all children go to heaven uh, uh, when they die if they die as children." Something that was a slam dunk, clear statement. He said, couldn't you picture some group coming up with the the concept? we have to ensure the salvation of all children by killing them yeah. uh, with a holy vigor. You know, I know the world's going to look at us as strange and awful, but we know God's word. I mean, this is the kind of thinking that inspires the, you know, acts of Islamic extremism and martyrdom uh, that uh, what we are doing is ultimately right and mm-hmm. is going to be for the, the vindication of our faith and into eternity. Uh, and I, I thought that was interesting. That may be a reason it's not explicitly stated. It may not be stated, Nathan, as well, so that we are always desperately panting before God. And I think one of your opening statements was excellent. We need to make sure that sentiment, as valuable as sentiment can be, is not in the driver's seat uh, when we consider theological issues. Yeah. So uh, those are just guesses why it's not explicitly revealed. Again, I think predominantly the message of the Bible is a, is evangelistic ultimately. It yeah. is to tell broken men and women that are lost in darkness, that are deserving of wrath, that there is a glorious way for salvation. And I think that's its primary focus. So anything we get uh, about uh, sort of secondary concerns. Okay. What about this? What about that? What we call the exceptions, we get sparse information on, Mm -hmm. uh, we get some, but I, those are some guesses as to why it's not explicitly stated. Now, one of the things that, um, you haven't referenced, and I actually, I, I appreciate this because I think, I I think a lot of people use this as a go-to verse when trying to defend this position, and you haven't done this because I, I think that this is a specific application to this one person. And that's when David lost oh, um, right, his right. son, yeah. the son that he had um, with Bathsheba. Yep. And, um, you know, he spends so much time mourning and weeping while the son is sick. And then ultimately he ends up dying yes. and he gets up, cleans himself off and his counselors and advisors are like, what are you doing? You know, you you were weeping and mourning and you couldn't eat, you couldn't sleep, you couldn't do anything while your son was sick. Now that he's dead, yeah. you know, you're you're up and about like everything's fine and okay. Right. You know, and David's uh paraphrase reply is, Well, when he was sick, there was a chance God could save him and heal him. Right. Now that he's dead, I know that he's with God and I will join him one right. day. Right. Um and and I'm so thankful you haven't used that because I know so many people who do. Right. And it's not that it's 
bad. It's just bad because I think it's taken out of context. Uh-huh. It's like when we talked about Jeremiah several yeah. weeks ago with Steve Hartland. It's oh, right, not right, that this is a bad verse, yeah. but are you really using it and taking it within the context it should be taken? Right. Can you take a few minutes just to sure. comment on that? And- yeah, and I'm glad, Nathan. Uh, now, I will say I've got a list of things here, sure. and that's one of them. Yeah. But I agree. That that verse in Second uh, Samuel, I'm looking at it. Let me turn. Uh, I just had it. It's Second Samuel, somewhere in chapter 12. Mm-hmm. This is riveting podcasting. <laughs> Verse, uh, it's around 20, uh, and I'll find it in a minute, but uh, 23, verse 23. Uh, that's where David says, um, yeah, but now he, meaning the child is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. There's a couple ways to respond to that. We have to be very cautious about making statements of biblical characters, mm-hmm. doctrinal statements. Uh, this comes out of a narrative section of the Bible. Um, in other words, another way to ask this, Nathan, does the Bible tell us that we should curse God and die? Cause there's a way we could say the Bible says curse God and die. And right. the Bible does say that by quoting Job's wife who has unknowingly become the mouthpiece of Satan yeah. in that section. Cause you remember in Job one, his goal is to get Job to curse him, to curse God. Uh, and that you know leads to this horrible set of circumstances uh, in Job's life with loss of his health, his fortune, his own children, um, and there he is on the ash heap, and he's he's miserable. And his wife, we understand it is it's probably a compassionately motivated statement, but nevertheless, she has played right into Satan's hands. Just curse him, yeah. and then God will kill you, and this misery will be over. Seems to be what she's saying. So we could say, yeah, the Bible says that. <laughs> you know, I, I'll do that as a test with kids sometimes. Did you right. know the Bible says curse God and die? It does, uh, but we have to put it in context. Yeah. The message around that verse is don't do that. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. So the Bible would actually say, no, don't do that, right. although it includes the quote. So one of the reasons that this passage is never my go-to is because it is David's quote. It is his understanding now, the most interesting thing about it that I will say, I, I happen to believe that David believed mm-hmm. that his child was in heaven. Right. Um, so I agree with him. Right. <laughs> it sounds weird to say I agree with David. Right. But we have to be careful not to make that a didactic passage yeah. that's intended to teach truth, or we have to start dealing with, so what do we do with the recorded words of the false prophets? What do we do with the recorded words of the righteous guys when they screw up yeah. uh, and they tell other people to do things that are sinful? They themselves suggest doing things that are sinful. We, we get into a really tricky world there yeah. where we have to discern intent and was God blessing the statement or not. I will say in that passage, uh, one of the most interesting things to me is to compare it with um, – what David says, and I don't have that reference, but you can look it up. It's a famous quote when his son Absalom, an adult son who was quite wicked, died. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's deduction, but it is a different sense. He just says, oh, my Absalom, my Absalom, my Absalom. Um, when this infant dies, um, he seems more optimistic yeah. of a reunion. Now, I, I can't prove anything. Right. That's just a sense that I get. What I also like in this text, however, Nathan, is that it's not simply 
David saying, um, I shall go where he has gone, mm-hmm. which might be Sheol, the grave, death. Right. But it seems to speak of an anticipated reunion. I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. So I do think you can at least say from this text that David anticipated a personal reunion with his son in the afterlife. Now, where would David have gotten that? Yeah, we don't know. Right. Some would say, oh, he got it from revelation from God. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he did. Maybe it's his own inference. Right. So that I don't normally go there as a starting point for would, that reason. Would it be... Um would it be fair to say too that that even in the personal writings of people, a lot of times because it is personal, they're writing from their own understanding sure. of God's nature and character. Yes, which at times, you know, given that it's in the Bible, seems to be better than our own. Right, right. Yes, and I would say uh, a book where these writings are highlighted and put in uh, a collection like the Psalms mm-hmm. seems different to me than individual statements pulled out of narrative sections of the Bible. Um, You know, in a sense, uh, go to, uh, what is it? I think it's 1 Kings 12, after the death of Solomon. You've got Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and you've got um, the, the, really the origin of the division of of Israel uh, along northern and southern lines that would last until... Uh, you know, their, their ultimate final days. They would never be reunited as they were under Saul, David, and Solomon. And you've got to remember Rehoboam, who's Solomon's sons, you've got his friends urging him, man, you, you go kick butt, mm-hmm. Rehoboam. Don't you give in. Don't you appease these citizens. You tell them, and you've got that, you know, some really shocking quotes where uh, uh, Rehoboam actually says, this is a quote. He says, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. It's going to be one of our first greeting cards. <laughs> Nathan and I are talking, by the way, listeners, of a greeting card company. More information to come on that. That's right. Of obscure biblical verses to give out for different occasions. That's father's right. Day. My little finger <laughs> is thicker than my father's loins. Uh, it's a quote in the Bible. So that the Bible says... That's right. My little finger is thicker than my... What does that mean to say the Bible says that? It means a character in the Bible says it. Right. So I would say there are places where you're just not sure what you do with this. Right. And then you have dedicated books where these sayings have been collected and our sense that, oh, yeah, this is God's word speaking to us. In narrative section, I would say the message of the narrative is the message of the narrative. Yeah. Um, which is why preaching Old Testament narrative is tricky. Right. We want to make sure, okay, why is this block of information here? What is God saying through this narrative? Right. It includes individual comments of characters. Yeah. So the, all that to say, going back to this issue with David, it's what makes it tricky. Yeah. He is sharing his own hope. I happen to believe, just to put my cards on the table, Nathan, sure. that he was right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I, right. I would not go there as, oh, here it is. Here's the, the linchpin. Yeah. And it's done. And, and so that, um, we, we did discuss that verse, but you also have some others there yeah. that, that support. Um, and so share, share some of those with us. Sure, sure. Well, I, um, I cannot help but think, Nathan, that, and I will admit, I'm freely inspired here by um, John MacArthur's book, Safe in the Arms of God. Which, can I do an impromptu thing? Um, um, 
Sorry, that was a head nod for those of you. Who yeah, that's there. right. Yes, yes. Now, Daredevil would have known. That's right. Yeah, you know, if Daredevil <laughs> was here in this podcast, even through the uh, internet waves, he would have determined. He would, he would have known that, that you nodded. Nodding. That's right. It's just awesome. Uh, Safe in the arms of God. John MacArthur's book on this subject, where he is very emphatic that children go to heaven. Uh, that doesn't make me right because I agree with him or him right because uh, he wrote a book on it. But I think it's a helpful book on the subject. Mm-hmm. And uh, can I say, uh, you know, first three uh, Facebook likes, mm-hmm. uh, just tell us you did it, and I'll make sure that you get a copy of that book. Yeah. I actually have several at home too. Um, I would say that the passages where Jesus blesses children are, are more significant mm-hmm. than they're often given credit for. no. Him blessing children doesn't mean that they go to heaven. But there's something about children that we see in those passages and Jesus making the conclusion that those that get into heaven are like these children. Now, I know the typical way that we go about this is saying we need to have childlike faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of minutiae here, Nathan, that I don't want to get into because we could get into Greek grammar and all that sort of stuff. But there are different words for children and and little children, what we might call infants, he blesses both mm-hmm. and says that uh, we must be like them to get into heaven. More and more and more I read those passages, I think that's the closest we get where Jesus is telling us they go to heaven. Mm-hmm. You adults must be like them in order to go to heaven. Um and I know that gets us into a series of interpretive questions, and I don't want to dodge those. You can ask me more about those, Nathan, in a moment. Mm-hmm. But just to say that Jesus furnishes them as examples. He blesses them, which is interesting. It is obviously an unconditional blessing. There's no requirement placed on them. He welcomes them. That is the context that he draws the analogy of people, adults, Mm-hmm. that want to presumably get into heaven, want eternal salvation, and he furnishes children as examples. That, to me, is extremely significant. Um, in those passages, you know, which are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where he blesses children. Um, I would say the other uh, passages that stand out to me on the destiny of uh, infants are uh, passages that speak of the grace of God coming to us apart from anything that we have done. Mm -hmm. Now, I recognize fully that faith, as you know, I believe is a gift of God. But I reference this verse, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians one thirty, that by his doing, we are in Christ Jesus. That tells us even the subjective response of the gospel that places us in the Christ isn't something we do. See, I maintain, uh, we didn't get into this with Dave in the last two podcasts too much, and we could in the future. And Dave, if you're listening, tell me if I'm misrepresenting your position. Mm-hmm. But I think as I've listened to Dave closely, and, and I want to be fair to his, uh, his perspective, Dave has argued that the grace of God is largely seen in the objective events of the gospel, the incarnation of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection. And I would agree, those things are all outside of us. I mean, that, that is God's grace, that Christ accomplished these things for us. Dave leaves the mystery on how we get into those benefits. And as I argued, I don't think there is any mystery. Right. I think 1 Corinthians tells us 
by his doing, we are in Christ Jesus. So that's my answer, Nathan, when people would say, why do children get these benefits? Right. I say, I don't know, but I know by God's doing, they get in there right. somehow. Again, deductions. But the, the passages concerning the blessing of children, I think can only, this is my view, be properly read if it's built on the assumption that children get into heaven. Mm-hmm. If there are elect children and non-elect children, which guys like Calvin believe, mm-hmm. I think as I can read them, Jonathan Edwards believe, the Westminster Confession, uh, and I think the London Baptist Confession, uh, we should ask Steve Hartman on that, um, I should be careful. I think the London Baptist Confession mm-hmm. talks about elect and non-elect infants. Mm-hmm. I think that um, I know the Westminster does. I know Jonathan Edwards believed that, and I am fairly certain that um, uh, a few other big reform luminaries believe that. But I I don't see how that works yeah. in Jesus' teaching. We must be like them implication mm-hmm. so i see it they're they're set yeah their eternity is secured by god's grace um i don't know how to work through those texts if that's not true yeah so there's not much yeah see i'll admit that i yeah. can't give 27 verses that uh that do this but the verses that i mentioned to me are very persuasive on a yeah. personal level well, and I think too the the fact that you're you're willing to admit that this is a lot of deductive reasoning mm-hmm. that there is no uh, set in stone scripture that confirms these things, um, and, and and I know you, Greg. You're not you're not one that easily um, will go into things with deduction. Right. You don't like to do that. Yeah. We've had so many conversations about that. Um, but you're coming and you're just being so open about it and you're admitting your biases. Sure. Um, oh, I have huge biases. It, and, and, and I think that's fair. And again, I think that's why Deuteronomy 29, 29 is such a great verse because yeah. I, I think in that God allows for our humanity. He allows for our biases. Mm-hmm. He allows us. We need answers to these questions. Yeah. Um, it, it's not something that we can just, you know, pat to the side and just say, eh, whatever, you know, we'll, we'll find out eventually we, we need answers. Yeah. Um, it, but I think within that we can also see for people who, who don't believe that, mm-hmm. who believe that there are, um, there are an elect group sure. of children or there are an elect group of mentally disabled people or even, even who, those who would say that there are none. Right. Um, that th- there's a certain amount of grace and charity we should be willing to give to those people I because agree. because they use the same deductions from what Scripture talks about in terms of, you know, Romans uh, 6.23, you know, the wages of sin is death. And sure. then, you know, Romans 3.10, you know, none are righteous. No, yes. not one. Yeah. Um, and so they're using those same deductions to draw those same conclusions. Uh, uh, agreed, Nathan. That's why I, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Those, um, I, I feel I need to defend people I disagree with here because I think sometimes people say, I can't believe somebody that would believe that. Uh, they must be the most callous people in the world. We have to be very cautious about that. Yeah. Because while nobody probably likes the thought of a perishing infant, uh, and if anybody does, you know, that's very concerning. Right. I, I, 
we have to be cautious that we don't sort of project that onto people yeah. that have this view. I mean, uh, that's that, that, that's almost a criminal charge to say that these people are almost delighting in this fact. I don't yeah. get that sense from yeah. people I talk with at all. They're they're honestly grappling with scripture, and I understand why they've gotten there. Now I'll say I, I couldn't find the quote, Nathan, and I'll, I'll try to do this maybe on a future podcast. Mm-hmm. One of the things, and again, it's a theological deduction. Going to say that a hundred times, but it, one of the the great uh, luminaries. I don't know if it was a Spurgeon or or someone. I'll, I'll try to find this. I'm paraphrasing his quote. Said, "I can understand from God's perspective the eternal consignment to hell mm-hmm. of infants. I can understand it from the standpoint that he." is satisfying his justice, his wrath, that all of humanity is guilty before him. But he said, I cannot understand it from the perspective of the mind of the infant, which is ultimately blank, Mm -hmm. why he would be in this place of perdition, why he would be in this place of judgment. Um, And then it raises questions. Does God almost have to grow them up Mm -hmm. to a consciousness where they experience what's around them? It's it's a very strange, almost metaphysical conversation you're having. But that quote grabbed me that from a a theological perspective, I understand it in terms of God's justice. For the person receiving it, it's harder to understand. The person in hell today... Uh, and I'm with C.S. Lewis. I know he was uh, not a reformed guy, but I still think his logic can be applied that, in essence, the doors of hell are locked from the inside, that what the person in hell has is the ultimate nth degree extension of what they've always wanted, which was to have their own way and to not embrace the gospel and to rule their lives as they wanted. Hell is that ultimate extension. Yeah. Separated from the God you rejected, did not want for all of eternity. I think a Calvinist can talk freely in those terms. And yeah. say, Absolutely. An infant, it's, it's, it's a different story. Right. Uh, it's a different matter. And um, that's why I have come to believe that um, infants are uh, part of God's elect people that yeah. are in heaven. And, um, you know... I, can I deny that's of personal comfort to me? Of right. course not. He mentioned earlier, Nathan, we're kind. Lisa, uh, my my wife, uh, has experienced several miscarriages. Um, the hardest one years ago was on Mother's Day, which wow, that's a yeah, that's a uh, that was a very difficult uh, experience. And we fully recognize that as difficult as our experience has been, we talked to parents that have uh, lost children at age two, yeah. that actually saw the child, that uh, loved the child, knew the child. Um, you know, extremely difficult. So, yeah, can I deny my personal bias? Of course not. Yeah. I like to think, um, you know, I don't like the concept of hell. Right. But I believe it with all my heart. Right. Um, I, I, so I'd like to think that if I could be persuaded on biblical grounds to go against my emotional inclination, that I would. Yeah. I hope I would by yeah. the grace of God. Man, hard stuff. I know. Well, you know, we are, um, this, this has been so good. Um, yeah. we are, we are running out of time. Um, but I think, you know, I think this has just been such a, a good conversation because, um, on, on many different levels, I think first and foremost, if, if you are someone who has struggled with this, hopefully the things that Greg has brought to light, just, um, you know, God's grace will just pour out and overflow on you in this in this matter and, and you will 
you know, just be able to see God's goodness and his graciousness. Um, if, if you're somebody that disagrees, um, you know, or, or somebody that has very strong feelings toward people who disagree, again, hopefully God's grace will just pour out and you'll be able to look at another brother or sister in Christ and just say, you know what? Yeah, I, I don't agree with them, but I can see that they are biblically grounded sure. and centered in that, and that, you know, hopefully understand that, yeah, they, they struggle with this. Like I, I would hope, I think you brought this up in the podcast with, um, with Dave Shive that it's, it's difficult to look at anyone and say, yeah, that, that person could be destined for hell. Yeah. That, that God has chosen that person. I, I, I brought up these um, two verses. I don't remember if I mentioned them in the podcast or not, but I know I mentioned them offline. Romans nine twenty two and nine twenty three. vessels made for noble purposes, vessels made for noble purposes, vessels yes. for wrath, vessels for mercy. Yes. And it's hard to think about even in those terms, somebody who, yes, we know they are consciously rejecting God, but we also know that God has not chosen them sure. to receive grace and mercy. Yeah. That that's hard. It is very hard. Um and and so I would hope but but yet we still believe that is the truth of scripture. Yes. And so I would hope that we would show um compassion and grace and mercy to other Christians who would look at this subject and say, you know what, I just I can't see in scripture where infants are are part of the elect. Right. Um, and we would show them knowing that they struggle with that same thing as well. And they see that as being a hard thing, but their conviction on what scripture says Mm -hmm. guides them in a different direction. Yes. Um, and, and I think, I think these things are good, um, in an academic setting. Um, as I said, you know, I've, I've taught this and, and I've brought this up and challenged students with this before. And I think that was uh, good. I think it freaked my students out a little bit sure. um, that I was bringing these things up, but I think it was good for them to get freaked out. Yes. Hearing another view and another opinion. Um, but I also think that it should remain in an academic setting. Yes. Um, I don't think that our theology needs to come out to families who are grieving. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, no matter what you believe it, I, I feel fairly confident saying you can put it aside to weep and mourn with a person of course, and comfort a person who has lost a child. Yeah. And then I think Nathan, the, uh, well said, by the way, I, I think the, the common ground that we share is, you know, God's grace is enough. Yeah. It's enough for the sufferer. Uh, it's enough to know that he is kind, he's gracious, he's just. I don't think it's required of parents that are grieving to find their way out of grief by insisting uh, on a belief about where their child is. Yeah. I, I understand why, but I think that a, in other words, a, a pastor or a counselor that does not share my views on the subject or is so unsure they're not sure what to say, I think to talk about the grace of God yeah. for them the mercy of God, his love. Uh, there, there is so much common ground we share yeah. that, I mean, to talk about what Christ has done for us, to talk about his promise to never leave nor forsake us. Yeah. Uh, as David said in the Psalms, you know, you, you've basically collected my tears in, a, in your bottle. Yeah. Uh, how precious our grief is to God. There's so much we can go to. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Christians from all different theological stripes uh, and perspectives on this issue and others that we have to comfort people. So that's uh, my prayer too, Nathan, for anybody listening in, 
that uh, if it prompts them to be Bereans, Christians, yep. that look to the Bible more. And that's why it's so good you do that with those kids when you taught them. Because, look, you're not saying they're going to give up their view, but, man, don't simply just say, my theology is based on what I like and what I don't like. Yeah. That's a dangerous path. And it's led to a number <laughs> of uh, erroneous conclusions yes. and, frankly, heresy. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and um, just a couple um, qu- couple quick things before we sign off. Um, we are going to do a double podcast this week. Um, so for those of you who are listening in, uh, stay tuned because um, there's going to be another one that will be um, uploaded shortly after this one is. Um, and that one, we it's perfect that you said that, Greg, because um, the one that we're going to talk about is the most recent Supreme Court decision with yes. legalizing homosexual marriage. And a lot of this topic within Christian communities has come from people and their sentiments. Yes. And and translating scripture to fit what they like. Agreed. Um, and so uh, stay tuned for that one. Um, you know, we just, we want to talk about um, how, how do we witness to friends yeah. and family uh, during this time. Yes. Um, Second, don't forget um, the book, Greg, what was the name of it It's called again? Safe in the Arms of God by John MacArthur. Now, admittedly, it is a passionate, um, uh, persuasive argument yeah. for the position that children do go to heaven. But it's, yeah. it's a very well-written book. Yeah. And again, even if you disagree, um, I'm a big proponent of reading people, particularly people that you disagree with. Absolutely. Um, you know, it helps give you a different perspective. It can help solidify your thoughts and arguments on things. Um, and it, like you said, Greg, hopefully it helps you become a better Berean to go yes. into the scripture and, and see what God says. Yes. Um, so, uh, don't forget as always email us. These go to 11, the number 15 at gmail.com name address. Um, that should be enough because we're only doing one book this time. But, uh, that's right. First three Facebook likes. Yep. All right. So we're going to go ahead and sign off now. Um, and Greg, we just rocked the Casper. Gently rocked. These go to 11.